what's up, guys? Welcome to the WCBC Podcast. My name is Hunter. My name's Alan. I'm Josh. And we are here, and we're back. And so this, I, and I don't know how this happened. We went like a majority of the weeks with our volume, I guess, sound pretty good. But here recently, I've had more people talk about how I'm too loud. Um, so I just turned you two up. So if Josh and Alan just sound super loud now, that's fine. Um, Miss Christie, she was talking to me about it today, and she's like, can y'all do something? I was like, yeah, you need to tell them two to speak louder and catch up. But <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of shy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a little, little backward. Well, and I, I think, too, it's like... I say, like, right here yeah. up on the mic. So, this week I have them turned up. So, you know, we can only do better if you as our listeners re- tell us, you know, how it sounds and what it's like because, um, you know, I don't like to sit and listen to myself, if I'm being honest. So, we, we don't know yeah. until you guys tell us. Uh, so, we're glad to be back this week. Um, I, I know it, it's been a little chaotic, and I talked about it this last podcast about doing better. Um, I was telling last week's episode didn't launch Thursday. It's going to launch today. Um, I started my first week of work and I had it in my head Wednesday night. I'm going to upload this thing. And then I got home and remember I had to get up at four and it was 1030 and I was like passed out. Um, so that's not an excuse. Okay. But, um, I'm going to do better at it. And, um, as I, I think we talked about this last time too, we are going to communicate. I think this next month, there might be like a couple of weeks where we might just kind of, um, pre-record or we might kind of do like a short episode, like a Christmas one, maybe like 20 minutes. Um, just so, you know, we can have something for y'all. We want to keep everything out front. So you all don't just think, where are they this week? Um, if, if we're not going to record or we're not going to, we'll just tell you. Um, and so we want to do better at being up front with you all. And I know there's a lot of you all that, um, you listen very consistently and you've been keeping up with us and we just want to say thank you. Absolutely. Um, it's awesome that people are still listening to us, you know, because <laughs> oh, we, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, uh, by the grace of God. Um, and so we're excited and we're going to continue with our, um, segment on, on, you know, these theology discussions and, uh, it, it's just funny because, like theology is so key um you know it's like i know some people obsessed with it more on the man's wisdom side but uh when you it's like i've been i've started reading about the puritans and when you read about them guys i mean wow that they were they were serious and it's like you know um when i believe thomas adams he was referred to as the shakespeare of theology and preaching back in his day and, I mean, he was a wise, bold preacher who practiced, you know, that purity in his life. Or um, uh, one guy, some Owens, I, I can't remember his first name, maybe John Owens. Um, you know, that's a guy that was well known for his preaching. And all of a sudden, like, he was persecuted for it. And they were like, you know, sign this paper. Sign this paper. Um, saying you don't believe in all these things that you profess. And he's a Calvinist. And we'll let you go and we'll let you free. And so the man signs the paper, right? And so everybody, you know, in the story, you're like, oh, how could he do that? Well, I mean, how could he do that, right? That's the question. So he walks outside the gates and he turns around and he's like, I can't. And like, what do you mean you can't? He's like, I can't do this. I can't sign this paper. And like, no, you already signed it. He's like, no, you don't understand. I can't. And so he walks back in the city gates and they had him chained up before, and he signed the paper, unchained him, let it go. Walked back in the city gates, and he says, you don't need those chains. You don't need this stuff. And he walks over to the fire, 
that they were going to burn him in. And he says, before I burn this paper, right, he said, I must burn the thing that signed it. And he willingly puts his right hand in the fire and burns it. And he pulls it out. And then he walks into the fire willingly to die for the name of Jesus. And I started reading that and I was like, dude, how many people say they're willing to die for Christ? And then they read, that'll humble you right there. Yeah. But see, that guy didn't have to do that. But because of the conviction and Christ in him, he could not walk away. Now, obviously, that's his flesh. It shows that even the Puritans were people that made mistakes. But when I started reading that, I was like, man, theology is worth dying for. Not that it's that we make all these big terms up. No, it's that everything, you know, theos uh, is God. Logos is word. I mean, God's word, theology, right? The study of God's word. This is Christianity, and, you know, it, it does bring you to the table of, like, are you willing to die for it? And I'm a firm believer that if that were to be God's will for me, then Christ will perform that in me. He will give me the confidence to endure that. But when I read that, I was like, wow, you know, theology matters. The Bible matters. And, you know, John Owens and Thomas Adams and, like, a lot of these guys that, you know, some of them I haven't read about yet, um, man, they were serious. I mean, and a lot of them were Calvinists, and they loved John Calvin's teachings, but they loved the Word of God more than anything. And so with that being said, we're going to continue kind of our discussion on this acronym, TULIP, which, you know, I kind of went through this last week that, um, you know, the followers of Joseph Arminian kind of created this, as Josh said, you know, we talked about to identify, but even like... John Calvin's followers kind of took this and was like embracing it. It was like, this is how you know you're a Calvinist. Um, And it did become an issue because they were more obsessed with being in the Calvin club than worrying about doctrine and Christianity. And that was an issue. But it also brought an arrogance amongst some Christians because they're like, I'm in the elect, you're not. And that's not up for us. God saves. Um, And... You know, it's like we had our Thanksgiving meal, and any of you all that helped in that or ordered food or whatever, we just want to say thank you. Uh, it was awesome. Um, we, me and my wife and uh, her sister Lexi, um, we were able to go out and deliver meals, and we had Emily with us as well. And we went out and, and gave meals, and, you know, we were able to share the gospel with people and talk to people. I met a woman that just got saved this last May. And we started talking, and it was amazing. And uh, so we just want to shout out. We served 1,125 meals total, which is a blessing. And it was just, it was good. And this morning, um, there were people that showed up here that were affected by yesterday's meals. I, I know your wife and my mother, like, they met that one woman, and they got her, and they talked to her this morning. Um, so that's just awesome. Uh, praise God for that. But, you know, saving is God's. It's yes. like, you know, that woman I met, never met her from Adam or Eve, but she ended up going to this church, hearing the gospel, got saved, and, you know, God does that. We don't need to try to define who's in or who's out. Um, you know, a tree does bear fruit, and we can tell. I mean, we can biblically look at the fruit that's being produced or not produced in someone's life and be burdened for them that there could be no salvation um, you know, I know some people that there's no fruit, there's no reading, there's no devotion, there's no nothing. They haven't changed since they were saved 50 years ago, 40 years ago, and that's terrifying. Um, you know, I, I don't want to go, I, I don't want to have to stand before God with that's all I have. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
and you know the evidence of being a Christian is more in the sanctification and the life that you live of becoming more like Christ. That's where the evidence is, and some people just don't have that. Whether it's religion or self righteousness, I, I, I'm not for sure. Each person's probably different, but there are issues. Uh, they have a form of godliness, right? Scripture says that, and um, salvation belongs to God, and we've got, we've got to stand in that and leave that. But you know, a lot of these Calvinists were like, "We're in, you're out. This person's in." we're out. That's not for us to determine. Now, if you guys remember this last week, I talked about a man named Reverend Barry Gritters, right? I don't believe it's Gritters. I believe it's Gritters. I'm going to say Gritters and, you know, unless I'm ever corrected. And this was a, a Calvinist uh, preacher that loved Calvin theology. Um, take the Calvin, word Calvin out, Reformed theology, Protestant Reformation. You get into the Puritans and a lot of, he was Reformed. Um, and we've expressed in this room, I, I, I'm huge on Reformed theology. Um, I, I don't like agree with some concepts that we're going to talk about for Calvinism. Um, to not probably maybe not today, but as we continue through this. Um, but I, I to me, um, there's too much biblical conviction in a lot of these points. Um, so if you guys are familiar, and I, I read, I'm kind of going through his explanation of tulip. And last time we talked about total depravity. So total depravity. Um, we talked about Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. A man is dead in his sins and his trespasses, right? Um, even in that section of scripture, Paul even says, and you were, were once like this. You were alienated from God. So he even tells the Christians that at one point in our lives, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We had no knowledge or life towards God or of God. And Paul says that. Um, and, and so Reverend Barry, you know, gives his four points, um, and he talks about being at enmity with God. He proposes this question, can a man do good works then if he's not a Christian who's born again? And he says, no. Uh, Romans fourteen twenty three: whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Um, can a man want to be born again? His answer is no. It's the Spirit that gives life. We can't convince anyone. Can people want to accept Christ? No. That's only given by God. And he goes through all of these things, and he even talked about Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. Um, it's all faith, you know, and that's what it is. But he says before we're saved, you know, that's it. And so now I'd kind of like to transition out of what... Um, Reverend um, Gritters, Gritters talks about and kind of get out of his points and get into Scripture, right? Because that's what we're here. We're not here to tell you how smart a guy was. We want to talk about Scripture. So I, I would kind of like us, which we've talked about this before, but now we kind of really get an opportunity. So guys, when we talk about TULIP, this first thing, total depravity. Now, the three, the three of us agree, right, that man is completely dead in sin. Um, and I, so Ephesians chapter 2 says this, And you were dead in your sins and your trespasses, in verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. So guys, let's stop there. So this idea in this form of theology says that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. So guys, what would that mean? If someone's listening to this, and they don't understand what would be a simplistic way of explaining how we're dead completely in our sins and trespasses. Whoever wants to go first? I'm sure we'll, all three of us will have. So being dead, um, 
in our sins and our trespasses is basically the unawareness of God's holiness. Great word. God's wall or will. So therefore, when you do, are unaware of who God is and the holiness and the purpose that we are here for, it, it becomes the uh, self-morality or environmental morality that you look to. Um, depending on un- one's upbringing, you can have a moral compass or a moral standard that varies from somebody else. But when it comes down to it, it's all on what your environment imposed yeah. on you. Well, then once we become aware of God's will, at that moment, then we understand that it's not about anything that we were raised around or our upbringing. It's about what his will is and holding close to his laws of one how do one lives. And we realize that it's not about us. It's not about how we do anything because it's we can't. And it's not until that moment that we fully understand God's will that we can sit back and look at things differently. We no longer look at the abortion as whether somebody deems it to be whether life conceived or not. We look at it from the stance of God, um, where clearly we'll separate it that it's murder. Um, we, we look at things like that, you know, the, our actions, our speech, the way we treat others, that it's not about us. It's, about, it's not about that person. But it's about showing them the compassion, love, and grace that God has showed upon us. So being totally dead to ourself in, in, in that unaware state, it boy, basically boils back to kind of how you, just a mor- morality. And you can find good moral people that are lost. When we talk about depravity, I mean, you, you can look back or I can look back at myself and understand that nobody had to teach me how to lie. Right. I knew how to lie. Yes. Come naturally to me. <laughs> uh, nobody had to teach me how to be mean. I knew how to be mean. I yeah. knew how to be, uh, you know, disobedient. A- a- and the reason being is because there is that Adamic curse that causes me to be separate from God. Right. And that's a very valid point. I mean, if you look at young children, I yep. mean, that's exactly, that is exactly it. You know, nobody teaches them to lie and, nobody, and, or the rebellion state to yeah. where, you know, you, you do this and they're like, no. You, 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 don't. You, put, you put two kids together, you don't, have, you don't have to teach them how to be stingy. No. They both want the mine. same toy. They yes. both want the same toy. It's mine. And they don't really want it until the other one starts playing with it. Right. That's when. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, I was looking at this word, um, dead um and your greek word is necros um and i could have butchered that necros either way um it's 3498 i mean listen to this deceased departed one whose soul is in heaven or hell so literally you know someone who's dead but what's interesting is when you look, it says dead literally or figuratively. So, you know, this isn't talking about literal. Right. This is a figurative sense in Ephesians 2, one. But it also says metaphorically spiritually dead. So, I mean, think about this. You know, after Genesis 3, which, you know, Genesis is hard for a lot of people to believe in. Um, I want to say this. So is evolution. Probably harder. harder. So just pick, I agree. you know, hey, I, to me, Genesis makes way more sense. God created. Even if we don't weren't there and have all the details. Um, but, you know. Okay, so God created all these things, seven days, right, made man from the dirt, made woman from a rib. Makes sense, right? By faith, we understand that, Hebrews chapter 11. Okay, so 
Genesis 3 takes place, and after sin comes in, right, the curse, um, depravity, depraved from the beginning, right? Uh, when they weren't with God, right? They were separated from God. We were depraved from an original state of living in the holiness with God. I believe that's a, a way to put it. Okay, so knowing that, we have to understand that when a man and a woman have a child, right, they have intercourse, intimacy, Okay, a child, right, is produced, God gives life, baby's born. So everything that would come out of the womb of Eve would be affected by the Adamic curse. Then that womb, and then that womb, and that, and here we are today. So when we talk about being deprived and being dead, we, all humanity is dead and deprived. Facts. It started in the beginning, and, and now it's here. But what I think is interesting about this is when we talk about dead, and our trespasses, dead in our sins. You know, of course, my mind runs to one, one of my favorite chapters right now that I, I, I've just enjoyed so thoroughly is when you get in 1 Corinthians 2, right? You get into verse 14, and I, I just want to read this based off what you two just talked about. This comes right behind it. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So let's talk about this. The natural person, um, the normal person. Um, you know, I, I believe when you look at the King James, right, it, it even says the natural person. And that means this, um, belonging to breath, having nature characteristics of breath, the principle uh, of life governed by breath, right? So it's just talking about alive. So this natural person, right, has life, has a brain, has, has breath in their lungs, has everything. Yep. I, I mean, there's nothing different between them and anyone else. But when you look at the spiritual aspect of natural, like Christians are not referred to in the Bible as natural people. Actually, you know, when you look at this, Paul says in verse 12, and I got to preach on this a few weeks ago, it's awesome. He says, we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God. That we might understand the things freely given us by him. So you go down. The natural person does not accept. So when we talk about being dead and our sins and our trespasses, and this point that's about Tulip, is the Calvinist really believes, not just the Calvinist, I think any Bible-believing Christian should believe this, that someone without God is dead and in the state in which they entered the world. Now, some people will leave this world still in that state, completely dead. That's a fact. That's hell, right? That's where they're going. But we have to understand that Paul is, I guess, bravely, in a sense, but blunt, honestly saying that there is no way that a man can have any spiritual knowledge or life or understanding of God apart from the Spirit of God. So someone who's lost. There's no way. Josh said it. You can have a knowledge. You can have a form of godliness. You can know the Ten Commandments. You can know what John 3.16 is. And you know that question that Reverend Barry Gritters proposes is, you know, well, he says no one can desire to be born again. Well, here's the thing. How can someone desire to have something they don't understand? Right? I mean, that's a fact. They cannot comprehend what salvation in Christ is until what? They experience it and they're saved. 
So when we look at dead in a trespass or that the natural man doesn't accept the things of God nor know the things of God, we have to understand that this is a description of a person that is completely separated and as Romans says, at enmity with God. There's no life. Now, if we had a dead body in the room and a live body, we could tell the difference, right? One's dead. One's alive. Now, here's the thing. I can't tell that spiritually, but God can. God knows who's alive. God knows who is dead. But without a special revelation, and I'm not using that to be weird. I mean it. Without a special revelation that you are lost in sin, and you need to have faith in Christ, and you exert that faith in Christ, right? The faith the size of a mustard seed, and repent of your sins, you're dead in your sins and yeah, your that's trespasses. Not weird. That's a very accurate description, I think, of the fact that... Uh, even in our best intentions, if we tried to explain to a carnal man that they're depraved, yes. that they're dead. Can't understand it. it, it it's They can't comprehend what we're talking about. No. A, apart no. from the description that you just gave. Yeah. A, a miraculous epiphany to where they now have been made aware by somebody besides me, God the Holy Spirit, shows them their condition and draws them to a position of repentance. At that point, they might start getting it and say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, yeah, I think I need a relationship with Christ." And here's the thing. And this is, you know, when someone realizes that they're lost in sin, and they have been—I mean, truly—it's been revealed to them. They now are accountable, right? But now they are spiritually aware. And so this does get into an area about if someone knows they're lost, then God's given them that spiritual awareness. And the question is, does that go for everybody? Because imagine giving spiritual understanding and then being able to say no. Does that mean you lose it? Does that mean you're reprobate? Does that? There's a lot of questions. But when we look at this explanation of being dead and sin and being dead and a trespass, we also have to understand what Paul says after. I mean, look at this. So he says in verse 2, once you walked in. Right? So he's talking to the Christians, but look at this. Look at this description. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among once we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, whereby nature, the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So take away this whole, you know, he's trying to relate and say, Christians, listen, take it out and look at the characteristics. They fought, that Someone who's dead in their sins and their trespasses follows the course of the world, what the world does, right? They follow the prince of the air, Satan, and his schemes, right? They're his children. They live in the passions of their flesh. They carry out the desires of their body and their mind. They're the children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. That's true. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I was reading this week, Solomon says whether someone's righteous or not, we all die. Mm -hmm. So we're all, we all are children of wrath. But we have to understand that total depravity should not just be limited to Calvinistic theology. Total depravity is in Scripture. You can call it whatever you want to call it. They're just lost, they're blind, they're whatever word, you acronym... You can come up with whatever adjective you want to use to describe it. It's plain as day. They're lost in their sins. And no one can seek God. No one can know God. 
No one can access God except through faith in Christ. And that's point blank period. And I believe Barry Gritters does propose a lot of challenging questions, but at the moral, right, at the base of it all, it's not just his opinion. It's Scripture. It's plain as day Scripture. And I enjoy reading through here. And, I, you know, he talks about no man can come to the Father, um, which hath sent me, right? Draw him. That's a fact. Can you offer salvation to anyone? No, we can't, right? We don't have the ability. So we have to understand that this tulip, right, it makes sense. It makes completely sense. Why? Because of the biblical support and the conviction behind that God's Word says so. You guys have anything else on total depravity? Because this next one's going to get a little interesting, and I feel like we're not going to get all the way through it. You guys hear that? I hear it. Somebody's listening to music. I bet it's Grant. It's angels singing. So I'll have to, I'll have to tell them, I'll be like, dude, we heard your music. Okay. So T was total depravity. Now this next, this next point is you. Unconditional election. Okay. So listen. Barry Grider says this. It's the faith of our fathers living in your life, in your church. We sing the song, Faith of our fathers living still. And no doubt, the faith is living, but the question is, where is the faith living and confessed? And what is the faith of our fathers? It was expressed over 350 years ago by our church fathers at Synod of Dort in the Netherlands. And it's the, it's the same concept as what we read above, right? So he's like, this is it. This is the next one of the acronym, U. Yeah, that's great. I can hear it. Okay. Unconditional election simply means God chooses to give some people eternal life without looking for anything good in them as a condition for loving them and saving them. So God chooses to give some people eternal life. This is not Hunter Blair. This is John Gritters or whatever it is. Barry, not John. Without looking for anything good in them as a condition for loving and saving them. Okay. Before any man or woman is born, in fact, before the world was made, God decided who would go to heaven and who would not. It's a little dicey. Before they did good or bad, God chose some to be his people and rejected others. Conditional election would mean that God chooses to be his uh, to to ch- chooses to be his those who first love and choose him. Right, so he says conditional means he would choose those who choose him, right, and love him. But the Bible says, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you, John fifteen sixteen. Please look at Romans 9, 11, and Acts, you know, in, he, that's a reference. Okay, listen, Acts 13, 48 says this, as many were ordained to eternal life believed. Okay, that's another text. Only when we speak this language is the horse placed before the cart. Conditional election puts the cart before the horse because it says that man believes and then is ordained to eternal life. Read carefully John 10:26. For another plain horse before the cart passage, right? Can one imagine that the denial of this doctrine would mean? Can anyone imagine what it would mean? If we remember that before we are saved, we can do nothing good, the only conclusion that we could never 
choose God and never would, and we would never be saved. But God is sovereign and chooses whom he will choose. And after he chooses us, we choose him daily. All we are and all we have is given us by God. Again, this is the faith that we preach because it is biblical, because it is the faith of our fathers living still in our hearts and because it gives glory to God, all the glory, end quote. So, some people probably listen to this and their skin's already cringing. They're like, oh, I don't <laughs> like that, Hunter. We're, we're Southern Baptists. Okay. I want to say this. There is nothing that we can do to inherit salvation. Is that not true, guys? True. Yeah. We have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to give God. It's grace through faith. It's not of works. Why? Because we'd all boast Both. and brag about yep. what we did. Yep. Okay. So we have to understand that when it comes to the salvation of God, right, it, it sacrifices for thousands of years was not good enough until Christ was the sacrifice. There's nothing humans can give, right? I mean, even when we look at the acts of obedience that we give in our life, there's still disobedience that follows. We have nothing. And there's no work. There's no five-step plan. There's no body of water, right, that I can get into or, or, or prayer I can pray or anointing that I can receive from a man in order to be saved. There's no cult I can join. There's no ring I wear on my finger, right, like some people have. There's nothing that we have to offer God because why? God's not partial. God has no favorites. And when it comes to the salvation of God, it is by His sovereign hand that we are saved and saved alone. Because here's the thing. God did not look at my life and say, well, Hunter's a good speaker. Or he might be a good speaker, right? When I was lost. Well, Hunter's got some good uh, characteristics. Or, man, he's got a good heart. You know, I think, you know what? I'm going to save him. He's got some good qualities. That's not how it worked. You have to like, lined up on the basketball court choosing teams for, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll pick Barkley. Yeah, like this kid's seven foot and this one's five foot. I'm going with seven foot guy. Um, we have to understand that's not how it works with God. God doesn't pick some supreme team, right? God's not some dictator that only wants one kind of people to exist like, you know, uh, Hitler was huge on. God is unpartial. God is is love, and God is fair in his judgment. So before we even continue with this point that this man makes, we have to understand that biblically, biblically, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we have nothing to offer in Almighty God. Nothing. Nothing, 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 and nothing. Now, this phrase, God chooses some people. So a lot of times we start talking about the choosing, right? The unconditional election of God. And Romans 9 is what all Calvinists jump to. Now there's some other texts too, but usually Romans 9. A lot of biblical believers jump to Romans 9. I'm not going to lie to you, and we'll talk about that. But we have to understand this. A lot of people say, you know, why did God do this? Why, why didn't God choose this? Why didn't? Why would God choose any of us to start with? Because we do have to understand when Scripture says in John uh, 15, 16, you have not chosen me, I have chosen you. We've got to acknowledge that the Bible says that. Now, obviously, throughout the generations, people have bounced around those kinds of verses because they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to pick sides or they don't want to cause uh, disruption in a traditional church. That's a fact. But what we're compelled to say is the Bible says it. 
So when we look at this text, right, and this is John 15, Jesus is like, I'm the true vine. But at the very end of it, and here's the full verse, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that pointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, a huge argument that a lot of people bring up is this is for the disciples, right? Now, I mean, obviously, yeah, the disciples were chosen to do these things. But here's the thing. Peter said, be like us, like we're like Christ. Imitate us like we imitate Christ. So we have to understand that these 12 disciples, yes, were chosen by God for a specific task, right? God saved them, redeemed them. He started a work, and he's going to finish that work. But what does that mean for everyone else? God's will is still going to happen. We have a part to play. If you study this out, please go study this out. In Romans 9, it's going to talk about Pharaoh as a dishonorable vessel, right? That God used to reveal power. Okay. So I believe when you get into Exodus, you read about his encounter with Pharaoh. But before that, I believe in like chapter 6 or chapter 7, God already told Noah, he said, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And I've hardened his heart. But through the the catastrophe that took place in Egypt, all the surrounding countries and peoples were fearing Israel. Why? Because they realized through what took place to Egypt that there was a one true God. People feared. It's a fact. So we have to understand that even Pharaoh, right? A lot of people argue about he chose that. It was hit, you know. So let me let me ask this question. If we serve an all-knowing God, right, who has foreknowledge and uh, can predetermine things, and He knew, He determined Christ, right? At a point in time, Christ came through a virgin, right? Our Lord knew when He was going to die. Do you think God waited around for a Pharaoh to rise up and make the exact decisions that needed to be made just so His plan would be fulfilled? So what I'm saying is, Did God have to wait for a man to meet certain qualities before he could use him in that capacity? No. Because that would mean that God would have to wait for man to become exactly what needed to happen. No. That's not it, brothers. God didn't wait around. God determined that his will would go exactly that way and that this Pharaoh would be born at this time and would raise up and God would use him for this. Is God unjust for doing that? No. He's holy. He can't make bad decisions. And so uh, just to kind of kick it up a notch, <laughs> if, we're, if we're ready, I guess we are. Come on. Uh, this is to make, here I am, country boy. First 50-year-old, first exposure to Tulip. Studying it right now, right? And to me, I've said it before. I've said it in some of the podcasts coming up to this. Uh, the uh, the hang-up with this uh, election uh, really is with human beings having a problem with God creating people to go to hell. And that is a completely fleshly carnal mindset of look at God trying to say, hey, God, I need, this, I need the same decision-making ability and capabilities that you have because I need to either approve or disapprove because he's a pretty good guy and I think he probably needs to deserve to go to heaven and, and, and we, we we want to think that uh, maybe somehow God needs our help or our input on making these judgments 
God's just. Mm -hmm. God is a righteous judge, and his judgments are absolutely right and fair. And I'll throw this question out there, and hopefully it'll lead to some good conversation. If God's got it already worked out, what's what's the use in us as Christians? What's the use in us doing anything if he's already got it worked out? So, for example, um, you know, Alan, you were talking about, you know, God creating people specifically to go to hell. Um, you know, and we'll talk about that when we get into limited atonement a little bit in this one. I don't necessarily agree that that's what God, you know, I don't think God's like, all right, you're going to hell. It's, sorry. No, no. There's more to it than just yes. random. There's much more. And we'll get into that. And that's not what we're saying we absolutely support. But what Alan just asked, okay, so for instance, when you get into Jacob and Esau, right, you get in Romans 9 and it said before either were born or did right or wrong, God determined, right? And I'm paraphrasing. But what's it say? It does say this, for the sake of election. Yep. But according to his election. So we have to understand that Jacob and Esau was a tough situation. You know, okay, here's Esau. He has the birthright. He's supposed to be the big dog. Okay, their mother and Jacob lie, right? And he gets the birthright, and he gets the blessings. And we look at that, Alan, and people are like, well, what was the point, right? Here's the point. Jacob, right? Jacob would end up being faithful to God. Yep. He wanted to live for God. He wanted God. And a lot of people are like, well, it's not fair because he lied to God first. We can't just look at it as Jacob lied, right, and try to justify election because we all lie. We all have sinned and fallen short. We have to look at it as this. God determined that Jacob would be the successor because Esau would not be faithful. So think about this. When it talks about for election, right, about these two, and I'm going to go pull this up because I, I want to be uh, accurate when I start talking about this. Now, Romans 9, I will say this. It's mostly talking about Israel, yes, you know, about what happened in the Old Testament. A lot of these things are for them. But when you look at this, okay, verse 13, Jacob I love, Esau I hate him. What shall I say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul says no, there's not. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, I have compassion on whom I have compassion. Look here, verse 16. So then it, de- it's not, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For scripture says, you know, Pharaoh, all this stuff. But when you look at this and you go up above, right, Rebecca, she had children. Look here, verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue... Not because of works, but because of him who call. She was told this, the older will serve the younger. So why in the world, Alan, right? If God's determined all these things, why in the world would Jacob and Esau continue as is? Because of Jacob's faith. Yep. His faith. And here's what I know. God has determined my life. Whether you think it's by his sovereign choice or his foreknowledge. Whatever it is. I don't see the result. I, I don't see the outcome. I see everyday life in front of my face, and I have an opportunity to be obedient to God's word and be a light to a dying and lost world. By faith. By faith. By faith in God. By and faith. understanding that my biggest desire as a child of His is to please Him. Right. And it's not about seeing uh, some hard-hearted person be persuaded into my way of thinking. It's about me being obedient to God 
and following his Holy Spirit every moment of the day. Yep. And then if we, you know, with the question with, you know, why would he send them to hell or, you know, of that state? Yeah. We all deserve hell. All we all, no, everyone. There's none of us that can say, yep. I don't deserve hell. Yep. So it's only by his grace that we are going to be kept from that. And, and that's that's, but, God, uh, that's God's opportunity, God's responsibility, right. and he's good at it. He'll get it right. Yes. I promise you, he will get it right. And but, it, by us living by the faith of it, you know, that's where the separation comes from us in the world. Yes. So that's why it becomes more than just a profession of, you know, or a verbal statement, you know, which is why, you know, I had a conversation with a guy and he's like said, he questioned and he said, well, what about, what is your thoughts on, you know, the say this prayer after me? And I says, I don't like it. I said, because are they coaching? Are they leading? Or is it a true conversion of yeah. prayer of a person calling out that's lost? And he says, well, if they've admitted their sin, I said, well, they didn't, though, because how do I know their sin? So if I said, follow this prayer from me, I'm leading the prayer. You're repeating me. Yeah. And I says, but the thing is, is that that's where the the neglect, if you will, for Christians to lead others and show them, you know, through their actions. You know, we shouldn't have to walk around saying I'm a Christian. And that's that's the thing about it. I'll go back to my question that I asked, which was loaded, by the way. Yes. For our listeners, it was a lot. It was an intentional question. The reason I do what I do, the reason I, I serve God, the reason I live for God, the reason I try to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, and the reason I try to witness and to try to uh, do all I can to promote the gospel and his kingdom is not because I want the title of a Christian right. or not because I want the title of a church member or a Baptist. It's because I want a relationship with him. I want to be in passionate pursuit of him. I want to be pleasing to him. No, I want to honor him. Yeah, No matter what anyone else exactly. does. Right. No I, matter. Dude, no matter. I, I'm to the point where it's like, you know, ministry, we are able to help a lot of people. But like at the end of the day, my relationship with Christ is what I have. The salvation I have in Him is what I have. And if somebody wants to throw theirs away, I hate that. Yeah. But thank God I have mine. And I'm not saying they throw it away like they lose salvation, but they don't want to move, remove things from their life. They don't want to be serious about study. And, and, and Alan, you know what I think it is? is A lot of people look at the world as everyone is created and should have an opportunity for heaven and should have this and should have this. We have to understand... We were not created as a sinful origin of humans. Adam and Eve had it. But yet, in our development, it's not that God had a flaw. God did not flaw us on purpose. God did not flaw us at all. But we do have to understand to some extent and some ability, God gave us an opportunity to make decisions. Oh, yeah. And so Adam and Eve made theirs, and it affected their family. And we heard that this morning, that there's generational curses. Well, guess what? It was an everlasting generational curse because we all were affected from the beginning. But here's the thing. Everyone's like, why would God create people for hell? No, 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 no. He didn't create us for hell. We were born going to hell. So we have to understand it's not that God's not fair. It's that God is righteous. Yep. Because if everyone's born going to hell and God were to choose to save some... 
That's awesome that he would choose any. That's exactly right. And we talk about fair. Who yes. defines fair? I mean, that, that's our carnal mindset. He does. At a godly, looking at a godly, yes. omnipotent, amazing he said, How can of knowledge. There's no way we yeah. can judge, yeah. judge him or, or decide what's right or if he's... Because here's the deal. As a Gentile... It's a no. miracle. It's a miracle. It's we even got included. A yes. God-given miracle. A God-given miracle. And Alan, you know what? And here's the thing. And a lot of people get to this. Paul says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What will what is molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable and one for another for dishonorable? So here's the thing, people. It doesn't matter what I think. Not a bit. God gave me life. And he's yeah. not going he's not going to seek my input. Right. No. He's not going to seek my advice. I can't He told Job that he's like, Which okay. Is worthless anyway. When Job was questioning, him, he's like, "Well, where were you when I yeah. made all these exactly. things?" And Job's like, "Okay." And then Job repented. So we have to understand that we can't look at God and say, "God, this is not fair. Why would you make me like this? Why would you do this? Why would you we have no right. Oh, we can, but it's very unproductive. Right. Very but here's unproductive. the thing. <laughs> we can't take that and look at God is evil and we just need to seek favor. We have to understand that when Scripture says that God right, wishes that no one would go to hell, he means that. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. right? He wants everyone. All he wants all. Repentance. And the Scripture says whosoever, and that is accurate. But we have to understand that it's not based off a randomized free choice to God. Nothing's new to him. Yep. God knows who's going to surrender by faith and who is going to neglect him. Yep. So when people stand before the white throne judgment, right, and people stand before the bema of Christ, that's why he says you can't say, well, I did this in your name. I did this right. in your name. He'll say, I don't know you, and that's because he really doesn't no. know you. Sorry. So here's the thing. If he created them, we also have to understand that right? he gave them life. He knows who they are. Yep. Mm-hmm. But when he says the phrase, I don't know you, it's not to say that he doesn't know his creation. It's to to show us the emphasis that they are not God's people. They're yep. not saved. They're fake. Yep. And I think that's the, finite, the, the the problem with this topic and why it makes my head hurt so bad because my finite point of view is yeah. just so limited, man. i tell you what. And when you, when you look at it, even our attitudes towards God in our prayer, I catch myself sometimes praying and telling God stuff like I'm informing him. Like I'm letting him in on something that's going on in my life that he don't know about. Yeah. When in reality, he there's knows. not one thing. He knows. Right? There's not one thing about me. God doesn't already know. And, and here's, and people, listen, we're not saying that God creates some people destined for hell. We have to understand that God knows. Yep. But here's the thing. A lot of people talk about what's all based on foreknowledge. Well, we also have to understand this. Before you know something, something's been decided. So God did make decisions before the foundation of the world, and that's it. That is, you cannot argue that away. Nope. Now, what decisions? How far? What is it like? You'll have to ask him. We'll, we'll circle back to God being uh, omnipotent. I'm not supposed to know. Yeah. And his knowledge will absolutely yeah. explode our yeah. skull cavities. Yeah, we couldn't handle we it. we can't understand it. We could not and handle it. And I trust him 100% to be just. There's yeah. a reason why in the garden, right? that they ate of the fruit from the tree of good and evil, right? Because if they would have eaten, right, with knowledge, could you, could you imagine, could you imagine, right? And I might have all this backwards. I don't think I do. It's been a while since I've read it. 
But imagine if they would have eaten both fruits from both. There's no way, guys. There's no way. Why? We were not created to understand God fully. There's no way. If we could completely understand God, then that would mean that he wanted us to be like him. Right. He didn't. And that's clear in Scripture. We we are we are the way the earth's his footstool, guys. We're under yep. the Lord's feet. Yep. I mean, literally, if we talk about it. But when you talk about the garden, you talk about the tree of good and evil and the tree of knowledge, and you look at this picture, and you know a lot of people are like, was it fruit? Was it really this? Or was it this? We can, we'll figure that out when we get there. But this is all I want to say. Is I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why some people won't be in heaven. Now, I can tell you what the scriptures why, because they've rejected him. They wanted nothing yeah. to do with him. Yep. I, I, but here's the thing. To what extent does God do these things, right? Like, for instance, when we talk about salvation, it's not for me to know. It's not for me to know. He literally equivalents salvation to the wind. Where it goes, we have no clue until we see it. We have to understand that when it comes to salvation and why this person, like, you know, there's some Sundays I show up and I'm like, God, please save this person. Please, 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 please. And I can have all the expectations in the world and I can try to be like the prosperity guys and name it and claim it. But guess what? At the end of that service, they didn't get saved. Mm-hmm. But do you know why? It wasn't my choice. I can't be mad at God because God is just. He can he saves who he wants to save. We could stop right there and say praise God, right? Yeah. At, because here's the thing. If there were a billion people in this church and God decided to save 10, praise God. Yeah. Because that's just. Yep. A, a lot of people get upset with this because they feel like God owes us. No. He owe, like they he owes us heaven and a salvation and a choice. That is so but that's true. That's the mentality of the time that we live in. It's the so true. That is that we so live true. In. Yep. God owes me. Yes. And, and, and that's what people's that's people's mentality. It, 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 you know, it's going to feel me and you know, I'm going to choose God when I'm ready for God. I'm going to do the things to earn God's, you know, grace and his mercy, but it's all wrong and it's all been misled because of the time, the instant gratification of the society. It's an it's an arrogant, self-centered sense of entitlement. Yeah. Hey, not only does God go owe me, but the entire world owes me because I am all that. I am the center of should be everybody's universe. Right. It's all about me. And that's that's exactly what puts us where we're at right now. Yep. Which is why the people come up with those questions, you know, like, you know, well, if there's if, if God's a loving God, why did he do X, yeah. Y, or Z? Yeah. It's because of that, though. Yeah. You yeah. know, because yeah. in, in their world, they can't understand yeah. why something like that would happen. Yeah. Yep. And I need to correct myself. It's not two different trees. It's the same trees. I got confused because it says the knowledge of good and evil. So I was like, oh, knowledge tree, good and evil tree. Sorry, guys. Um, I had to go look that up. Is eating at me. So I, I have to in those moments, dude. <laughs> it eats at me because I'm like, I should know this, Hunter. You know, but here's the thing. When you look at this unconditional election from this man, right, in his point of view, you may agree with it and you may not. You might think that it's free willy-nilly and we have the ability to... And here, oh man, and this opens up another door. Here's my other issue. Now, we've talked about free will, and I haven't heard any feedback from it. I hope people listen to it and listen to it thoroughly. But I, I want to ask you guys a question, okay? If I had the opportunity 
to determine whether I was saved or I was not saved, would that not almost require a divine ability to determine my eternal dwelling? So think about it like this. God come into all of us and saying, hey, here, here's an option. Yes or no, right? You choose, you choose. Does that not put more emphasis that we have the ability to save ourselves and make that choice, right? I mean, think about this. I mean, thoroughly think about this. If we get, if I were to get up in the pulpit and say, guys, today is the day of salvation and you have your whole life to choose whether you want it or not. That's not how it works, right? Mm-hmm. So this is my thing. It's not that I'm against free will, but I'm, I, I am against this. When people put more emphasis on what you choose agree, and agree. your responsibility, that takes away from the fact that Jonah 2.9 says salvation belongs to the Lord. I agree with that statement. Now, people listen to this and take it as you want. I, I'm not saying that we're all Christian robots or robots. I, I believe in free will to an extent. But I'm saying this. When salvation comes, so many people put the emphasis on what the person prayed or the decision they made or this. That's not what we say. What we say is God saved today. God changed your life. Don't base it on and be like, okay, brother, you made the best decision of your life. You did. That's putting emphasis on you. Right. It's not of us. It's of God. The night I was saved, no one had to be a part of it. Right. Nobody. Now, was my father there when I prayed? Yes. But the faith I had in Christ was not because of him or myself. The faith I, the faith I had in Christ was because of him. Yep. And that's what I'm saying. I'll never forget that moment or make it about me because I did a lot in my life, Alan. I was like, did I do it right? Did I mess up? Why is my life like this now, man? Maybe I messed up back then. But you know what I realized when I learned about sovereignty? I had nothing to do with it. Right. And that's awesome. Yep. Because guess what? If I would have had something to do with it, I would have messed it up. I'd have messed it up. Boom. And that's what I'm saying is when you look at unconditional election, there are some things before a person jumps to conclusion because of tradition that we have to consider. We have to. Like God's not partial. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If I'm dead in my sins and my trespasses, right? How can I have enough knowledge to choose God or to understand God or to please God? There are a lot of things we have to consider. And in the midst of considering that, do you know what I believe it brings a person to? Worship. Because they realize we're not sufficient enough to do this or understand this. Let's praise God. Now, here's the thing. When we come to a church service, do we pray, God, we pray today that salvation would come to this place. Yep. And do we pray it for everyone who walks in this room? Absolutely. We'd be nuts not to. Yep. But do we understand this, that if someone were to come up during the midst of the service and profess faith in Christ, we understand that God did that. Yes. Yep. And that was supposed to happen yep. that day. Yeah. Now, my friends, as we go through this, you all have to understand this. Listen, when it comes to TULIP, I never use the acronym unless I'm talking about the subject because I don't need that acronym. I can just go to the Bible verse, right? I don't need John Calvin to help me tell you guys how I'm a Christian, right? I can just go to the Bible. But for you all to grab a hold and for us to have a conversation about the Calvinistic theology and Reformed theology, this is the modern-day way people identify, whether they are or not. And that's where we're going to say within this, 
we will. I'll agree. I'm going to agree with some of these things, guys. I'm going to be honest with you because it's biblical. But then we're going to get to some things where I'm like, I don't know about that. Special limited atonement. I'm telling you guys, I, I, I don't know about that one because of some scripture we're going to talk about. But when it comes to unconditional election, if you were to ask me to explain it, say, Hunter, please explain unconditional election. Do you know what I'd say? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's not by. It's, it's grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you'll say, well, is it for everyone? Okay. John 6, my sheep know my voice. Or John 10, my sheep know my voice. John 6, uh, I, those are going to come to me, right? I'm not going to lose them. Can't come unless the Father draws them. So I'll say this. God is sovereign. God has an elect, and he will save them. But there are those, because of their rejection, not because they were created without a choice, but because of their rejection of the gospel, they will go to hell. They will be accountable. Think about this. Alan, if, for example, Alan, if I made you, right, if I made you break your glasses, Mm -hmm. and then you came before me, you wouldn't answer. You would say, Hunter, that's your fault. You made me break my glasses. But, Alan, if you chose to break your glasses and you came to my glasses store, you would have to hold account for why you broke your glasses. That's why I need new glasses. I broke them. So, listen, people will not be able to stand before God one day and say, this is your fault why I'm going to hell. He didn't ever said that. He said, by their actions, by their deeds... And by trampling underfoot the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, they will burn in hell. Yep. So that doesn't put the fault on God. That puts the fault and the responsibility on the people. But here's the other thing. As much as God is unconditional in saving some, he's unconditional in why some will go to hell. Right? Because he's not going to pick. Absolutely. He's not going to pick hell people for this team or this team or this team. Right? And it's not that... God is, it's like this, you know, someone told me a story one time about a guy that, it's a story about a guy who got to God and was like, you know, I can't believe you sent me here. And he's like, God's like, whoa, let me show you something. And it's something like, you know, God showed this man every opportunity he was able to hear the gospel and he denied it. And then God said, it's not that I created this place for you or I sent you here. It's that you never listened to me. That's the truth. That is true. That's the truth. 100%. And so God's unconditional, my friends. And God knew that. And, and he did. He knew that. And we've got to settle with that. Yep. He knows. It's mm-hmm. like, so this week, you know, I'm supposed to go hunt. Now, I'm not, whether I get a deer or not, I'm not going to be like, oh, I must not be living right or this. But you know what? If I don't kill a deer this week, it's God's will that I don't. And I'm content. Yep. All right, Lord, I'm going to go back to the house. And then if I kill a buck... Praise God. Thank you for your blessings. This is food in my freezer. Yep. So we have to understand that God in his unconditionalness, right, doesn't look at who's better than who or who's a favorite or who's in the club and who's not. We're all sinners. But we're all sinners saved by grace, those who are on the elect. And this unconditional election, man, gets some people fired up. And I'm not going to say it's because you can't handle it. But if you're not willing to have an open mind and have a teachable spirit and consider that what your pastor has told you your whole life might be wrong, you're never going to grow. And you're never going to learn. And that's a fact. I've, yeah. been, I, I've been there, guys. I was ignorant, never learned until I was unignorant. 
But when we look at this unfavorable, right, this God who is all love and all mercy, we have to understand that the only thing that we can say is for sure is God loves all people. God is love. It's not that he loves, he is love. And so if God were to choose just a few, then that's fair, right? But if God were to allow people to go to hell because they disrespected him and would not listen, that's fair. It's unconditional both ways. You want to know why? Because the gospel goes out to everyone. That's it right there. Well, the, this, the standard has been set. Yes. He put the standard out there. So for any to go to hell is not God. Yeah. It is them. Yeah. They are disobedience to the word of God. I mean, Israel in the Old Testament, we'd see time and time again that they got themselves into a situation in disobedience of God. Yes. yes. Because he told them exactly what to do and how to do it to be delivered. Yeah. And they fought against it. We're no different. The, we have the standards. He has put them out there. It's acceptance of his son, faith in him, to live your life, to put your hope. He is the foundation that we build upon. Yeah. So therefore, if we put ourselves first or we put ourselves on that pedestal to where Christ belongs, the head of every household is Christ, at that moment, then we have made our decision against God in a, in a disobedient act. And with that said, you said the standard's been set. The standard for justice has also been, been set. set. Right. It's, it's set. Yes. And, and here's, it's forever yes. settled. And yeah. It's going it's to be right. Your and, destination will be right. And it here's will be a, an accident. It will be a mistake. Yeah. No, and with, no surprises. No yeah. surprises. No. And, and with justice, I mean, here's the thing, too, and this goes back to the unconditionalness. It's not like God watches life and he sees a guy who robs, murders, commits adultery, does all this, does all this, and he's like, well, because of his choices, he's going to hell. No, he's unconditional. Exactly. The most religious person that does good deeds can go to hell. It's easier as the Exactly. And you can look at the the modern. He's unconditional. Right. You can look at the modern justice system right now, the court system right now. There's people almost every year that with uh, either the advancement in DNA uh, testing and things that get freed or exonerated. Say, hey, oh, sorry, we got this wrong. Yep. Yep. You shouldn't have been in prison. That's not going to happen in God's judgment. They're all no going mistakes. to be 100% accurate. Judged for what they did. Exactly. And guys, we have to, as Christians, we've got to grab hold that God and his sovereignty is, he's powerful. It's not, his justice system is fair. He can do whatever he wants. Guys, listen, do I want to die tomorrow? No. But if God's will is that I wake up tomorrow and I'm dead, then I have to understand that's fair. Right. That's his will. People are like, you think God's wills we die? There's a day appointed unto every Everyone. man, every woman, every child, if need be, that they're going to die. Now, do we want that? No, but in our finite minds, we struggle with that, Alan. Yeah, we do. Like you said earlier. We do. But when you come to peace with God and understand that he is sovereign and it's Christ in us, it's not us anymore, John Owens was like, I'll burn to death. Peter, I'll die upside down. Stephen, I'll get stoned to death. They were content, as Paul said in Philippians 4, with good or bad, because they knew in whom their faith was. And that's like when you look at this Romans 9, and you look at this tulip, and you look at all this stuff, he says this, God's sovereign and chooses chooses whom he will choose. And there's enough scripture in John 6 to support that. He does. He does choose. Because scripture says this, 
we didn't first love him, but he first loved us. We didn't choose him. He chose us. Yep. There's enough in it. Yep. And friends, as you go through your life, I hope you listen to this. And if you know that you're saved beyond the shadow of doubt, guess what? You're, you are God's elect, God's bride. Cherish. Find security in that. You struggle with your salvation, go study out election. And nail it down that you're a child of God and watch yourself grow and find assurance. Listen, when I got into election, I struggled with my salvation, right? When I got into that thing and that doctrine, and by the time I got out, I was like, it wasn't about what I did. It's about Him saving me and choosing me. So there's no doubts or questions. I'm His. I belong to Him through good and bad. And if you're listening to this and you might be thinking, you know, I've never heard this. And maybe God's saying, because you don't understand. Not that you're a Christian and you've never heard it, but that spiritually. You literally have no comprehension, no spiritual life. I want to tell you this. By faith in Christ, you can be saved. You don't have to repeat a prayer after me. You don't have to register your salvation choice as one of those jokers in Cleveland always tells people to do. Do you know what you need to do? Have faith. Pray to God. That's it. Pray to God. Talk to Him. That's it. Listen to that Holy Spirit. He is not going to leave you in a position of confusion or misunderstanding. He won't. He won't leave you there. He will not. He, he won't. Will not leave you there. He won't. And here's the thing: if you know that you're lost and God's revealed that to you, 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 you have experienced your first spiritual awareness. Yep. Given by God. Because here's the thing. Most people that I know that have been biblically saved, and though beyond a shadow of a doubt that they've been saved, we've talked about our conversions in this room, was God. God revealed to us we're lost. Yep. And through His drawing spirit, we came to a place where it's like we couldn't say no. Right. It was so good. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was like Christ was manifested. And we had no choice to say no to him. But can I, how could you say no yeah. when you encounter the grace of God for yeah. the first time? Yeah. You can't. I'm telling you, you can't. Because it's so good. It's so great. It's so grand. And I'm telling you, look, I'm getting cold chills. <laughs> when you embrace that moment that through God's mercy and grace, He has bestowed His love on you through Christ and given you the opportunity to have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you put your faith in Christ, it all changes. Yeah. And if you're at that moment where you know you're lost, guess what? God's wanting you to be saved. Yep. And if you're encountering the true grace of God right now, all you have to do is admit you're a sinner. Confess. Have faith. It's like the song, you know, ties in here practicing. You know, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after me. Only someone that goes from death to life yep. can grab a hold of what that means. Yeah. And I'm telling you, when I got saved, guys, when I was saved, I had so many questions. I really did. I had doubt. I, I I was nervous. I did it wrong because everybody's like, "How you feel? You do it right." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but can I tell you something? When I look back, that was the first time in my life 
that I understood God. Yeah. And I had a spiritual awareness of what them Ten Commandments meant, Alan, for yep. the first time. Yeah. That I was a sinner. And I needed Christ or I was going to hell. And by the leading power of the Holy Spirit, I went and found my dad. I said, I'm lost. I need to be saved. And by faith, I called upon the name of Christ to save me. And in that moment, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus himself ministered unto me. And do you know what? I cherish that moment. Yeah, you should. But I cherish it now. Yep. And I understand it now way more than then. Yeah. Because he's grew me, he's grown me, and he has matured me in sanctification to get to this point now that what we're talking about becomes reality, yeah. guys. Yeah, yeah. I was at home on a Tuesday, Monday night, doing schoolwork. Mind your business. <laughs> had no, no, no interest, no knowledge, dead. And that night, Lazarus came out of the tomb in that yeah. house. And everything changed. And through a testimony like that, it's like I was talking to a guy yesterday. I said, brother, we were out delivering food. I said, brother, listen, got two things and I'll, I'll shut up. I said, brother, you know, how, when you go to church anywhere? No, I've been a long time. Why don't you come back? Well, this world's blind. And I've been thinking about it. And I was like, huh. He's like, there's not a lot of hope, you know, around anymore. And I said, there's hope in Christ. And we start, we, we start talking about the gospel. And I said, bro, I'm going to be praying for His name's Chris. Pray for him. Pray for that man. I, I, I'm hoping to go catch him again. I said, there's hope in Christ. And he's like, I know there is. Now, he could have just been saying that to blow smoke. But I went to another house, and I was talking to a lady. I said, man, when's the last, will you go to church? I haven't been a long time. We were talking, and she said, but you know what? I am a Baptist. I said, well, good hmm. good for you. I said, but here's the thing. It's not about being a Baptist. It's nope. about believing in Jesus and putting your faith in Christ and being a Christian. That's right. She said, you're right. And then she said, well, I'm cold. I want to go inside now. And I was like, okay, go ahead, ma'am. But here's, here's the reality of all that. Without the grace of God coming into a person's life, being a Baptist or just knowing the world's messed up is not good enough. Right. Yeah. And I pray, and I pray, and we'll pray here in a second, that whoever listens to this, you're challenged in your faith in a good way, not a bad way. We're not trying to wreck your no, life. No, no. Listen, no, no, we no. are not trying to wreck your life. We want you to be challenged and seek the Scriptures and seek prayer. But can I tell you something? If you disagree with us, at least agree on this. If you're saved, God has saved you. And you should worship and thank Him enough in yep. that statement. And so, um, with that being said, guys, y'all have anything else? Alan, will you dismiss us? Will you pray for us? Pray for our listeners, please. Absolutely. God, thank you for this time that you've given us. God, and I pray that you would just bless the ones that uh, listen to this podcast. I pray, God, that you would just uh, bless your word, God. We know that it will not return, but would, God, it will accomplish the purpose that you intend for it to. And I pray that uh, you would help us as we continue the, this platform, God, that it would uh, grow and, and outreach, God, and uh, reach more uh, people's lives, God. Help us to just get serious God about the life that you've uh, given us and the expectation God of uh, holy living and being separate and peculiar and God that we would honor you in that and not draw recognition to ourselves uh, all these things ask in Jesus name amen 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 we'll see you guys next week peace out